Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. All right, Messed Up listeners, we are back here for episode number 35 of the Messed Up podcast. Of course, I'm your co-host, Giraffe Neck Mark, here with James Shiano. We finally got back in the office, in the studio, whatever you want to call it, and we are ready to talk about some Mets baseball. Just finished up a really strong series by the New York Mets, taking two of three from the Toronto Blue Jays, one of the better teams in baseball, one of the better offenses, and we stymied them a little bit here. This is a team that scores a lot of runs, and besides game two, We kind of held them in check, so it was a really nice series pitching-wise for the Mets overall. Some games here and there, not so great. We'll talk about that. We also got the trade deadline on the precipice here. Teams are making moves. We already made one grabbing Rich Hill, so we can give you our brief opinion on that as well before we get going into the breakdown of the games. And we're just going to talk about everything New York Mets as we always do every single episode. Make sure you guys are following us on Twitter and Instagram, at MetsUp. YouTube channel, Mets Up Podcast. We're uploading the videos over there if you like the video format better. Make sure you're listening to us. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you are. Follow, subscribe, leave us a five-star rating, drop a review. It really does help the podcast grow. Helps us do this a little bit more often. And that's pretty much where we're going to end the intro there. James, we've been talking all day because you've been here watching Mets baseball, but how, how are we feeling after this Blue Jay series? Feeling like we do after a lot of these series where this team just continues to impress us with their grit, determination, moxie, a word you've used in the past, gusto, a word I'm going to throw out right here. This team just battles, and they fight, and they find a way, and they did it again in two of the three games this weekend. And we get to see the debut of a new starter this weekend as well, Rich Hill, who we made in a trade with the Tampa Bay Rays. We sent over Tommy Hunter and Matt Dyer for Rich Hill. I made a YouTube video on my channel where I talked about the move. I was happy with it. Rich Hill is a very capable starter. I'm pretty sure you share the same sentiment as me. This was a no-brainer. Yeah, bottom line here is that Rich Hill is a lot better than Gerard Eikhoff. Like, that's a lock and any time of the week. And when you trade a double-A catcher like Matt Dyer, like, that's not a very tall t- price to pay for a competent major league pitcher. Well, you know, Matt Dyer, that's, that's the thing. Not a double-A catcher. I don't nope. know where this came from. I don't know how it started. Matt Dyer has not played a single game above... St. Lucie, which is not even the high A team for the New York Mets. It's the low A. So Jeff Passan, Ken Rosenthal, all you guys, enough. The media hates the New York Mets this year. And for some reason, they want to perpetuate this idea that the Mets got fleeced in this trade by saying a double A catching prospect. Let's clear a few things up here. Not a double A player, not much of a catching prospect. Matthew Dyer, thanks for being a part of this trade. You did a great service for us. Good luck in Tampa Bay. Yeah, I think too many people in the baseball community, either people inside the industry or just regular fans on Twitter, will run to assume that when you make a trade with the Rays, you got fucked over. And in their defense, that happens very, very, very often. The Rays have not made many trades over the last, I don't know, half decade since they've really leaned into this new analytical model that was started by guys like Andrew Freeman and Heim Bloom to where they will lose a trade or they will not wind up being the team who had the advantageous edge of the trade. 
But another thing that the Rays do because they are so committed to cost saving and analytics is they refuse to DFA players. And when they made the trade for Nelson Cruz on, I guess that was Thursday evening, around dinner time, they had a roster crunch. They had to get someone off that roster, and there really wasn't anybody to send down. Their pitching is very, I don't even know what the word is. Robust. Yeah, robust. And also, they, it's very delicate what they do on a day-to-day basis with their option pitchers. At some point, they just had to get rid of somebody, and they wanted to get something back rather than nothing. And the Mets had the most compelling offer for a player in that roster, Rich Hill, who was a little bit extraneous at this point. And is he very effective? No. Is he an ace? No. Is he the only starting pitcher the Mets are going to add? God, I hope not. But the Mets showed signs of being a very competent front office, something we've said a lot this season. And they made a good move. They were first in line, and the early bird catches the worm. Yeah, we gave up nothing for Rich Hill. Nothing. Just gave up nothing. It's not like we were going to have to give up a lot anyway, but this just is a different team. Like we've said, Brody Van Wagenen's giving up Jalen Palmer here. It's just simple. We would have given up a top 10 prospect in the past. Sandy, Zach Scott, whatever they're doing over there, got a really nice bargain bin pickup here. Because as we said... He's our number five starter at the absolute best. That's what Rich Hill's going to give you, but he's better than Gerard Eikhoff. I'll take anybody over him at this point. Yeah, and Rich Hill, as we saw today, I don't know if we want to start with game one or game three, but he is going to be someone who's more of a four or five inning pitcher than your traditional stalwart workhorse. Yeah, but we'll, we'll get into that more as we get on here. Let's, we'll do our chronological order as we've been doing recently. Game one, the return of Steven Matz. Now, Say what you want about the guy as a player with the Mets. Not great. I think there's no way around it. He just wasn't the player we thought he was going to be. But he's a great dude. Super great off the field. A lot of charitable work. He was always the Mets Clemente Award candidate after Curtis Granderson was there. What you can say about this guy as an actual person, off the charts. Incredible. As a pitcher, not so much. So it was a little weird to see before the game because I was there. A little video tribute for Steven Matz, who in all reality underperformed expectations, was like a 4-5 ERA pitcher. Only the Mets would give a video tribute to somebody who did that kind of stuff for them. And luckily for the Mets, Steven Matz did what he does best, and we saw all throughout his career as a New York Mets pitcher, he gave up first inning runs. To talk about the video tribute, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's a hometown kid. That's a little too, yeah. Steven Matz grew up in Wichita. I don't think that either his debut, his career, or now returning to Queens would have been as heavily scrutinized as him growing up in Long Island. That being said, it was kind of weird to give a guy who was on your team for five years who was average at his best a video tribute. But yeah, nice donger of the Pete in the first inning. Got yeah. us off right. Nimmo on base too, as always. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure he smacked the double to lead off the game, which was awesome to see. Pete crushed the home run. Big day for Pete, which we'll get into a little bit more. But it was really nice to see that Steven Matz at least still gave us a little bit of old there because he gave up his first inning runs as he always does. Was there with a good friend, Scuffy McGee, Mets fan as well. You guys might know him if you watch Twitch. I won't be the show. A little shout out for Scuffy there. Gave me free tickets. It's the least I could do. But he was like, I just need to see a first inning run. He's like, I wish there was sports gambling in New York so that I can make a bet on Steven Matz giving up a first inning run. It was a lock. And what do you know? Two batters into the game, he did it. It was good to see, but he kind of settled in right after that. Yeah, and then also in classic Steven Matz fashion, he threw basically one bad pitch. And then he was borderline unhittable for the next few innings. He struck out the side to finish that inning, which is crazy after a two-run start. That home run by Pete was actually the Mets' only hard-hit ball off of match this entire game. Which should not be a sentence, that is No, it wasn't. We went into last, ended last episode saying we wanted 10 runs off of Steven Matz. And we got a measly two. And that would have been an issue if not for Tyler McGill. The 
unheralded, unsung hero of this last month of Mets baseball. I don't know where this team would be if it wasn't for Miguel. Dude, I keep drawing comparisons to Lugo and Gesellman of 2016. He is stepping up in the exact same way that they did. We had some injuries to our rotation. We had some guys go down. And Lugo and Gesellman, kind of the same way. Not highly touted players, not a lot of hype around them, a little bit under the radar. And while Gesellman hasn't stayed on that same trajectory that we saw in 2016, he still was very effective for us. Lugo was very effective, and that's what McGill's doing for us right now. I came out of this game, I mean, spoiler, we won, but I came out of this game hyped. I came out feeling super good. I think I texted you, everyone who was a Mets fan, I was like, McGill is legit. He fools people a little bit here in that his stuff isn't as great as it appears, but he has the confidence that makes you just think he's a little bit different, and it's almost getting him through some stuff. It's a little old man baseball take there, but he just, he looks like a major league pitcher. He acts like one. And I feel like his confidence, that's like the hardest thing to teach sometimes, as seen with Steven Matz throughout his career with the Mets. That's a guy who had all the stuff in the world, no confidence whatsoever, and we saw it affect his play. McGill is a guy who has some good stuff, but it feels like the confidence almost raises it to that next level that allows him to get away with it sometimes. Definitely, and he doesn't fear anybody. I was a little bit nervous about McGill going into this game against the Blue Jays because, as we've said before, they're one of the most prolific offenses in baseball. One through six is basically all-stars. Straight down the line, especially with George Springer now back in that lineup, and he was a real thorn in our sides this series. But McGill had gotten a little bit predictable over his last few starts, and the whiffs on his off-speed stuff had been kind of trending downward to the point where a blow-up could be happening because he does pitch to so much contact. But he has swag, he is confident, he does not nibble, he attacks hitters, and he truly believes that he is the best baseball player on that field every time he steps on the mound. Dude, he's got big dick energy. Tyler McGill is swinging that thing around on the mound. He just, he acts like he's a veteran. You don't get any rookie feel with him whatsoever. Definitely. And just the fact that this guy can go out there again and throw 60% fastballs with no ride, with good velocity, not peak velocity, and just get everybody out over and over again. And like, I think he was five strikeouts in six innings, I believe. Yeah. Just one walk. There's not that many whiffs, only nine total on 38 swings. But the changeup, the pitch that was billed to us as being subpar, his worst of the three, was dominant once again, had five whiffs on 12 swings. Pithers were looking foolish with it all night. He used it very well to set up the fastball and vice versa. And he just never really had a moment of stress against one of the best lineups in baseball, if not the best. Yeah, it was a huge test for Tyler McGill this game, and he passed it with flying colors. To go six innings, allow no runs against the lineup with Vlad Jr., Bo Bichette, Springer, Teoscar Hernandez, Marcus Simeon, just named five All-Stars right off the rip there. That's an insane lineup. That was two seconds. Yeah. <laughs> in two seconds, we got five All-Stars. I know Springer technically wasn't an All-Star this year, but the Mets were going to sign this guy for a reason, because he's a good player. And he just handled the lineup like such a pro. And first hit of his career. Yes, he did get his first hit of his career. The City Field was up in arms. They were excited. They were happy. It was a little raucous for him. He got a little uh, standing O. And it, I think it was really funny because I don't think you would see this on TV. Of course, Pete out of the dugout immediately. First guy. Yeah. He's got to get on deck. And he's like, give me the ball. Give me the ball. And Matt's <laughs> took it and like spiked it away. He's did like, he get, really? Get the shit out of here. He had no... He like spiked into the ground and threw it over to the side and like rolled into the uh the like stone behind home plate kind of thing. He wanted nothing to do with it because he just gave up a hit to Tyler McGill. That is the most Steven Metz thing I've ever heard. That little diva. Well he's he's just he's mentally weak. And that is that was that was the story of him as a New York Mets pitcher. He was mentally weak. He could not get through the slightest bit of adversity as a New York Met. 
he did it, I guess, this game. Although the guys weren't on base, it seems like when guys get on base, that's when he really falls apart. And no one was on base. We went through like five innings this game. It felt like we had two or three base runners, literally, until we got to the MVP of the weekend, Mr. Ryan Barucki. Barucki? Yeah, Ryan Baruch- Barucki, I think it Barucki. is. Barucki. Ryan Barucki. That guy needs Pete Alonso's next game check. Yes. <laughs> Pete Alonso owns this dude, and my goodness, the home run that he hit off Ryan Barucki was astounding. I mean, I was sitting, I moved seats, I moved down, uh, section 129, I think I was in at this point, because there was a lot of empty seats, and as soon as the ball hit the bat, I went, oh boy, oh my goodness, and from the seat, it looked like it actually left the stadium. It looked like it hit the gap between like the second deck and where the apple would be, and I was yeah. like, oh my god, how far did this go? I think like 454 was the final you know, tally crushed it and thank thank you for leaving in a lefty to face pete alonzo yeah. it's ridiculous that's happened a few times over the last few weeks like shockingly so it's like these people don't know and pete has had the reverse bad reverse split in his career but if you just watch the way he tracks a baseball against a lefty it's very clear that he owns these guys no he owns lefties his power numbers are super good against lefties average not as much sometimes if the power is there and i think a lot of teams get really caught up now with this lefty-righty stuff, which we talked about at the beginning of the year with the Mets lineup, being able to split up these guys and still have a really deep lineup, one through nine. We're missing Lindor, which would make it even deeper. But when you bring in a lefty to face Nimmo, you then have to get Alonzo. And then Dom Smith now, who hits lefties really well this year, one of the best left-handed hitters against left-handed pitchers on the season with Freddie Freeman, Anthony Rizzo. You're talking about some of the better hitters at first base in the league. They almost leave Pete Alonzo in that two-hole now in this new lineup that goes Nimmo... Alonzo and then Conforto and Dom in some order as kind of the little like bomb in the middle of all these lefties. Like you want to bring in a lefty, you bring him in. And but then and then you have JD him. too, yeah. who destroys left-handed pitching. So mm-hmm. I know it's going to sound weird in the next game because we do face a left-handed pitcher who destroys us, but that's a different story. While the Mets have had their struggles against left-handed pitching this year, when you get later in the game and you have a reliever like Ryan Barucki who just isn't very good, doesn't have stuff like that, the Mets will take advantage of it and jump on it like they did. Yes, and that's exactly what happened. Just to wrap this game up pretty quickly, because it wasn't really as stressful of a game as we've had recently. It was so quick. Really chill. I got out of there before 10 o'clock. There you go. Nice. Lugo came in, looked fine. May came in, looked great. And Edwin Diaz came in and got back on track, had a relatively clean save. Edwin Diaz was pretty lights out. It felt like I was I was having a conversation, and then I looked back, I'm like, oh, the game's over. Yeah. <laughs> Edwin Diaz is done. That's awesome. Those are the Stress best types free. of saves. Yeah, we love those from Edwin. Edwin. Ed save. Whatever it is. Game one in the books, Mets win. Now, game two was going to be a tough task. Yes. Because we're going to up again Hinjin Ryu. And uh, you're going to give us some stats here on Hinjin Ryu in a little bit here, but he owns the Mets. Yeah, Hinjin Ryu entered this start with the lowest ERA in the history of baseball against the New York Mets with a minimum of eight stars. The Mets relatively touched him up, I would say, on Saturday. Yeah, we got some hits. We scored some runs. Probably the best we've ever done against Hinjin Ryu. This speaking. is the best we've ever done against Hinjin Ryu. In his career, now including Saturday start, 10 games against the Mets, he has thrown 63 innings. He has a 175 ERA, a 105 whip, 63 strikeouts, 9 walks. Hinjin Ryu is a control artist as it is, but 9 walks and 10 starts? It's astounding in modern baseball. Good for a 5-1 and one record. The guy owns us, yeah, simply. Hinjin Ryu owns us, soft toss and lefty. Never a good matchup for us, as we alluded to before the series. Wasn't a good matchup again, but that really wasn't why we lost. We put up three no. runs against Hinjin Ryu. Yes. You're feeling pretty good. Especially in less than five innings. With, yes, especially with this weak Rays bullpen. You're feeling good. And they'll Blue play. Jays. Oh, yeah, Blue Jays. My God, I Rays have the a Rays. great bullpen. The Rays have a great bullpen. <laughs> I should take that back. I'm so sorry, Tampa Bay Rays. Blue Jays bullpen. They're terrible. 
But anyway, you think you're in you know, the driver's seat there. You're feeling good. But Taiwan, he's our day, man. It was a night game. I, yeah. I can't expect him to be the same at night. It's just, it's just not what he does. But he looked human, which we've seen now for the last few starts. And you've been alluding to it that at some point he was going to regress to the mean. And it looks like we're probably in the process of seeing that happen more consistently. Yes, this is the mean for Taiwan Walker. Over his last, I think it's three starts or four starts, whenever this cold streak began, his ERA has risen from 2.50 to where it is now 3.43. And all year, Taiwan's true skill pointed to a guy who really did have a mid to high threes ERA. He was getting lots of outs. That two-seamer was just bending and sidewinding all over the strike zone, getting tons of called strikes, getting mad at trouble. But this is probably the guy he is. Not saying he's the guy who's struggled over his last few starts, but this guy who cumulatively now exists. With an ERA in the 3.5s, 3.6s, 3.7s, striking out about a guy per nine innings. About one guy per inning. That's also wrong. Wow. Bad botch. But this is what you get for a pitcher who is $10 million and still one of the best signings of the offseason. Absolutely. Yes. This Mets team is not in first place with Ty- without Taiwan Walker. No. That also being said, we know he's not going to pitch like he did tonight or the, that night in game two, because he really did get roughed up. And granted, it's against the Blue Jays lineup, which we talked about is one of the best offenses, offensive lineups in all of baseball. It's simple. Definitely. And he just simply had no feel for any of his off-speed pitches. One of the things that's made Taiwan Walker so good this year is the very consistent mixing up of his repertoire and having a five-pitch mix. Most games he started. This game, he threw basically 70% fastballs. That two-seamer I mentioned before only got one called strike. That was sitting in the double digits during the starts where he was really good and had that CSW rate above 30%. He didn't have a pitch with a CSW rate above 20% this game. There was really just not anything you could hang your hat on from what Taiwan did. He just wasn't. There was nothing really positive to take. It felt like the Blue Jays were pressing on him every single inning, mm-hmm. and it showed. 6 nothing going into the fifth inning, bottom of the fifth. It was not feeling good. It wasn't feeling great, but the yeah. Mets, like we said, rallied a little bit. Scored three runs, knocked Ryu out of the game, which led to the Blue Jays' bullpen. And while it didn't really matter in this game, it's going to lead into game three, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. 6-3, Ryu out of the game. We don't keep it close, though. The Mets end up losing this one 10-3. Marcus Simeon's really good. This guy's just hitting the ball all over the ballpark. I feel like he's a double at least every single game down the left field line. He's just got that on lock. When guys are hot, like Simeon has been seemingly this entire season— they come to the plate and their bat just feels bigger yes. than the other players on the field. Like Marcus Semien puts that bad head out and the ball just pings every single time. Every time. Finds a hole, hits it hard. The guy's nonstop. He's a machine. Springer killed us too. He could have had a leadoff home run to start the game, hit it off the end of the bat, just stayed in. The wind was blowing in a little bit to start the night. So that's probably why I thought it was gone off the bat. I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is going to be bad. I mean, I was right. It just didn't happen at that exact moment. He then also hit a home run later in the game. Absolute bomb. Made a disgusting catch on Brandon Nimmo. It's one of the catches of the year. It was sick. I mean, like, we're talking about, like, remember when Aaron Hicks made that catch in center field? It was very reminiscent of that. Good call. Not as big stakes, which will be the reason why it's not as good, but it was a pretty unbelievable catch. Full laid out, going back on him, crashing into the wall. The dirt. Yeah. Slid right through the dirt. Sick play by George Springer. Tip your cap there. He just had a really good game. He owned us. Drew Smith looked a little shaky. It's going to happen yeah. with a guy coming off of you know what he's done and the amount of innings that he's seen in the past. He's going to have some bad games. Also, the league's starting to get to know Drew Smith a little bit. We've known him very well for a long time. We love Drew Flo. The preeminent Drew Flo podcast on the internet. It's not going to be easy. It's yeah. hard. Blue Jays lineup. We had an opportunity to in the sixth and the seventh. We had some men on. Couldn't Mm -hmm. capitalize. Nope. It happens. We had, what, 13, 14 hits tonight, and it was just one of those where we couldn't get the hit to drive in the run. Double plays, whatever it was. We just couldn't get those runs in. Anthony Bonda ended up coming in, which, you know, 
loved Anthony Bonda for what he did in Cincinnati, but mm-hmm. we also know that Anthony Bonda was not on a team for a reason. Yeah. The Blue Jays smacked him around. They yes. scored another three runs there, made it 10-3 to going into the bottom of the ninth inning. The Mets were dead to rights. They just lost this game. Was the Bichette home run off of Smith or Bonda? I can't recall. And the Teoscar hit that home run off of Bonda, not mm-hmm. Bichette. So, I mean, yeah, Teoscar Hernandez, we didn't even mention him. No, he's elite. I didn't even mention him in the All-Star thing. He's also in the lineup every single day. It doesn't make any sense. And he was actually an All-Star. Yeah, he's, he's really good. <laughs> he's really, really good. And I forgot about him because this team is just loaded with stars. Anthony Bonda's going to get hit. You can't expect it. He was brought up for this exact yeah. situation to clean up when we're getting smacked, to keep it, you know, a, a lead when we're up by seven runs. Anthony Bond is not a high leverage guy, so it's whatever. We got smacked around. It's going to happen. The big storyline of this, and I'm going to give a shout out to the editor, Jackson, Blue Jays fan. Charlie Montoyo is a bad manager. Horrendous. <laughs> this guy needs to get out of Toronto. Like everyone wanted Rick Renteria out of the White Sox so quickly, despite turning them around last year. He got kicked out. White Sox are still playing pretty well. The Blue Jays can hit their potential even higher if they get rid of Charlie Montoyo. This guy stinks. He botched the bullpen. He had to pull Ryu at the time when he did, but he just kept going through relievers. He didn't have anybody go more than what it felt like an inning in a game that wasn't particularly close. And my editor called in and said, Keep remember this tomorrow when the Blue Jays bullpen blows it. We have to use a guy like Jacob Barnes or Ryan Barucki again. And what do you know? This segues perfectly into game three. Great fucking win by the Mets. Oh my God. We got Dick Mountain on the mound making his debut, Richie Hill, and he was good through five, which is what he's going to be for us. Mm-hmm. We just can't send him out for a six than we did. No. And the other side of this decision was... If we would have brought a reliever in, and that reliever would have happened to give up a run or two or three, every single person on God's green earth, Twitter, WFAN, national media baseball shows, would have been killing Luis Rojas for taking out a pitcher who was quote-unquote cruising, even though he was not really, with 50-some-odd pitches in five innings of work. But that's Rich Hill. This is why the Dodgers were able to get so much out of Rich Hill and keep those numbers looking like they did was because Rich Hill simply did not pitch into the sixth inning. It did not matter how many pitches he had. Dave Roberts is like, you're out of here. Race two. Yeah, for good reason. He doesn't have the stuff to see a lineup third time through, especially with the talent that the Blue Jays have, especially because they're all friggin' right-handed hitters. And that sixth inning, literally the top of the order was coming up with the inning. I literally, we were sitting here, and I was like, George Springer, and he's still in? Wow, this is just a bad decision. I get that the Mets needed to stretch a little bit with the doubleheader tomorrow and the complete dearth of pitching options that we have to pitch both of these games against the Braves, but played a little too close to the sun and almost came back to bias in the ass. Almost. Almost did. When he left the game, the bases loaded. I think it was it was one nothing at the time still, right? We still had the lead when he left. Yes. Yeah, one nothing at the time, and... Lugo came in, and you're feeling okay. I mean, Lugo, as we know, is one of our best relievers, but he's been shaky of late. Up and down. Up and down, and he had Bo 0-2, and he left the curveball. That really wasn't a bad curveball, but it was a little too close 0-2, and Bo just smacked it up the middle. When you have a hitter like Bo Bichette up, who's very talented and really is really, really good at barreling up the baseball, but is prone to some whiffs. He's improved in that area, but he's still not like elite there yet. You have to bury an 0-2 pitch. You can't leave that 0-2 pitch in a hittable location, basically over the plate and just a hair below the strike zone. Bo got the bat head on the ball and roped a nice two-run single. Or yeah, it was, was it two-run? Well, yeah, two-run single right in the center field, Brandon Nimmo. Which, it's going to happen. I mean, Lugo came in to clean up a mess, so I can't fully blame him for what happened there because he did come in with the bases loaded and nobody out. Rich Hill just didn't get an out in the sixth. Mm-hmm. So it was a sticky situation, a little messy, but you expect Lugo to be a little bit sharper. He's been a little hot and cold, as you said. 
luckily for us, it didn't end up mattering because we do win this game. But you also, I went to go take a phone call at this time. And I heard that J.D. Davis made uh, quite the boneheaded play. Yeah, J.D. Davis, third baseman extraordinaire. I can't believe how many games this week we have played with our left side of the infield, right side of the infield being J.D. Davis and Jonathan VR. And it hasn't come back to bite us in the ass yet until today. Even though it really didn't bite us in the ass, it didn't actually get any more runs across. But after that Bo Bichette single, whoever was on first wound up a third. I can't recall who at the time. It could have been Vladdy. It it been, well, Bo would have been on it first. It was Semyon. It was Semyon. Yeah. So Semyon's on third base. Bo was on first, and I believe it was Kevin up at the plate, possibly Teoscar. These are not important details. A three-hopper was hit to third base. J.D. Davis was already playing off the bag, so he's fielding this ball a little bit in from where a shortstop would generally be playing. He fielded it shuffling to his left, all his momentum going towards second base. Gary even said, and a double play ball hit to J.D. Davis. And then, all of a sudden, with all his momentum still going towards second base, Cocks the right arm out and zings the ball to home to an unsuspecting Tomas Nido, who doesn't catch it, and Marcus Semien scores a run to make it 3-1 at the time, with still no outs. Yeah, wasn't looking good for the Mets. But luckily, this team, as we know, does not give up. They got out of it, ended up being fine, Mm -hmm. and the following inning immediately answered back because our boy, Big Meat Pete, again, with the massive... Massive home run. The homer horse. Donkey Stevenson, as we saw from Twitter, from somebody who I don't have your name right now. I'm so sorry, but you know who you are. You tweeted it at us. Donkey Stevenson, whatever you want to call it. Big friggin' home run. Shout out Ryan Barucki again. How yeah. do you how do you have Barucki in to face Alonzo again? Shocking. Real shocking turn of events there. And Pete has just been so locked in since the home run derby. And everyone tells us that the home run derby ruins your swing. You're wrong. Damn fool. It's so untrue right now. Pete Alonso, Juan Soto's been the best player in baseball since the home run derby. Shai Otani's gotten his power stroke back, even after having a bad performance. Pete himself has five home runs since the break. Ten RBIs, eight runs scored, seven strikeouts, and five walks. This guy is locked in at the plate. He's been the Mets' second-half MVP so far, and he, he really did a lot to win us this game today. Dude, he's doubled his home run total at home. Just in this home series. That's funny. Like, that's crazy, because Pete couldn't hit a home run at home for the longest time, it felt like, this year. And he was pretty swagged out once he hit that home run. Oh, he was feeling uh-huh. himself. Pimped and it. I love it. This is Pete's team right now. This is Pete Alonzo's team. Mm-hmm. He's the spiritual leader right now of this clubhouse with Lindor out of there as well. I-, I love seeing him take... It seems like he's taking Lindor's absence and really making the most of it and being like, this is where I'm going to step up. This is where I'm going to ri- come to the next level. And sometimes we've seen Pete tried to do a little too much and it's been bad but it feels like this is like finally him settling in and being like nah this is my team yeah he seems to be while he's very active and vocal he seems to be very relaxed in his actual gameplay which is not something that Pete Alonso has been able to do before as in be a vocal leader have emotion while being able to take a deep breath step back and play his game and it's beautiful to watch him grow yep and then we also in this inning got a huge pinch hit from the boy Jeff McNeil, who scared the shit out of me earlier yeah. this week when he was following nobody on Twitter and Instagram. Rip both of those follows for me. That was cool for like a couple months. But <laughs> hey, it happens. I thought McNeil maybe was going to get traded earlier in this week when he was out of the lineup and he unfollowed everybody. I was terrified. I scared everyone on Twitter, which was hilarious. But uh, luckily for us, McNeil's here. And McNeil got a huge pinch hit, scored two runs, put us up 5-3. And the Mets really just didn't look back from there. You can't get lost in how good of a call it was by Luis Rojas, Luis Rojas to pinch hit Jeff McNeil for Tomas Nito. Not that Nito hasn't been hitting. He actually hasn't been hitting much better. 
but just to like have your finger on the pulse if you have men on this is this is the chance you have to not put this game away but jump ahead and then let the back end of your bullpen close it down and it was brilliant brilliant move by Luis and people have been super critical of Luis Rojas not doing this in the past so everybody who's been upset he did it now it worked you need to applaud him I'm Mm -hmm. tired of the Luis Rojas slander this is our guy this is our manager he's a beast this is the future National League Manager of the Year, so it's time to start giving him the credit he deserves for keeping this team in first place with really smart little nuanced moves like this one. And they've been doing that recently with Nito too a lot, even pinch hitting McCann yeah. for him. They have been aggressive with pinch hitting recently, and it's been paying off. Mm-hmm. What was really nice to see as well, Familia looked sick. The sinker was just untouchable. Crazy and as, strikeout of Springer. As we know, like when that sinker's moving like the foot and a half that it will, it is impossible to hit. And he just, he felt like he was playing a video game today. He just had nasty stuff. Yeah, great. And I think that with the struggles of someone like Lugo, you're going to see, and Mayo, as we'll get to in a moment, I think you're going to see Familia kind of join that class of the bullpen and get some more high leverage spots, which... The way he's pitched this year, I think he deserves it. I think he deserves it. It's going to terrify people. I know a lot of Mets fans have PTSD with Familia about you know the World Series and all that, but you have to remember that when this guy is on, and it looks like Jeremy Hefner has been able to get him on a lot more than when he's off, he is one of the hardest pitchers to hit in Major League Baseball, without a doubt. That splitter and sinker combo with the slider, with the velo, with the movement, there are not many pitchers that can compare to what Jerry's Familia has when he's on. Now, of course, when he's off, it is a train wreck. Yes. He will blow any lead possible, but he has been on a lot more than off this year, and I think he deserves to get more of a shot. Taking over for even a guy like Castro, I feel like he's probably stepping into that role a little bit more as Castro is getting a little bit further and further away from those high leverage innings. Yeah, no doubt. And... Again, something I just mentioned, Trevor make him in the eighth. He did not look as good as he's looked his last few times out. Thank God we have the king of the bullpen, Aaron Loop, to bail him out. Loop, there it is. Ooh, nice. <laughs> but he, there, there was a couple moments in that eighth inning where I was feeling a little bit shaky. Well, he got he, the bases loaded, yeah. and they had, I think, Kevin Biggio up, right? Left-handed hitter. Mm-hmm. I believe it was Kevin, and he went to Loop. Rojas mm-hmm. went right to Loop. No ifs, ands, and buts about it. Love that move again because that's why we have Aaron Loop here. That pitch right there, that at-bat was going to make or break the game. If a run scores, the game was tied. And if it doesn't, you're going into the ninth with a lead or bottom of the eighth with a lead here. I love that he was aggressive. He went with Loop, bailed him out of the inning because Aaron Loop always does. Mm -hmm. Who would have friggin' thought that Loop, there it is, would be this good? We knew that we got a nice pitcher in Aaron Loop, but I don't think that we thought we were getting... I don't think you did. I was skeptical. I wasn't sold on him being this good. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think anybody knew this was going to happen. Yeah, no, that's why I'm leading One to. of the best relievers in the National League, yeah. Aaron Loop. Aaron Loop, go figure. Uh, Toronto Blue Jays fan, friend of mine, hated Aaron Loop, and he's come to the Mets, and he got the he was stabbed a knife right in their back a little bit there, closing out that game. So that was really good to see. Everyone's been making the jokes this season on Twitter that the Mariners have become Mets West just because of the slew of foreign Mets they have. The Mets, in a way, have become Toronto South. Yes, which, let's go ahead and... There's, I think, 10 guys this year that have played for the Toronto Blue Jays that are on the New York Mets roster right Mm -hmm. now. Jonathan Villar, Kevin Pillar, Billy McKinney was there, Sean Reed Foley, uh, Yancy Diaz, Miguel Castro, Aaron Loop, Taiwan Walker... Marcus Stroman, and there's one more I'm missing. Who is it? It has to be one of the relievers. It has to be one of the relievers that we're remembering. Bitch, who is it? I need to figure this out. Hildenberger? No. Shit. There's one more. It's going to drive me crazy. Was it Rich Hill? I don't think so. No. It's not Peraza. It's not Guillaume. (gasps) 
And the tenth one's Brandon Drury. Ah, yes. yes. After like a minute of silence and thinking about <laughs> it, Brandon Drury came to my mind. And this is the Brandon Drury episode. P- messed up episode number 35. Brandon Drury, the current owner of number 35 on the Mets. Look at that. Full circle. Full circle. Full circle. And great way to close off the circle here. Edwin Diaz came in. Lights out. Yes. Cash money. Let's go Mets. Sliders. All sliders today. Sexy ass pitch. Beautiful. That, those, those sliders you threw were unhittable. Yeah. Unhittable. And that one, was it to Bo, right, to end the game? Yes. That was disgusting. Incredible. That was a sick, that was a ballsy pitch too, 3-2. Yeah. You wanted a fastball. I wanted a fastball. Mm-hmm. You said slider. Yeah. Threw the slider. James is the pitching whisperer over here. He's he's got he's got the little Jeremy Hefner uh, little touch over here. Kendall Graveman, Edwin Diaz, whatever he's got. We're listening to James on the pitching side. Good series win by the New York Mets. So it's such a good series win. Two out of three from the Blue Jays is huge. This is a Blue Jays team that is one of the better teams in baseball. Arguably a top 10 team. While their pitching isn't strong, their offense is maybe one of the best in all the entire league. And we mm. limited them really outside that one game to what? Four or five runs? Yeah, three nothing on Friday and five four today. Yep, it was one big big. If you explosion. subtract ten, we only allowed four runs. Yes, which I'm I can get rid of that game because we won't count those runs for us either. It didn't happen. We didn't need it. Sometimes you just get beat. Ryu and that's who? what happened. Ryu who? Ryu who? Now let's talk about the trade deadline mm-hmm. because we talked about Rich Hill, our first trade deadline acquisition. We technically sent off Billy McKinney as well. I guess that was another trade deadline move, maybe-ish. That was more roster space. But that is a trade deadline move this year because Major League Baseball has altered the rule of waivers. So all of player movement is ending this week. So you're going to see a lot more minor moves just like the Billy McKinney one. Yeah. And I thought it would be fun on this episode. Me and James are going to do a little bit of a trade deadline draft. You see a lot of people do this. We're going to do it for the MLB trade deadline for the Mets we're going to give you 10 names. We're going to pick five each. We're going to go through a draft, and we're going to give some reasons why we think you'd be a good fit, why I think it's reasonable, maybe somebody that we could be looking to give up there. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and give James the first pick. We're going to do a snake draft. Thank you. Wow. We're, we're going to do a snake draft. I really wasn't expecting the first pick. Oh, my God. So, I got I to gotta hide my laptop here. I don't yeah, want you right, seeing any of picks over here. So James, get started. I think it's fair that we're going to do, like, let's do four picks that are, like, the, the real ones that have a chance. The meat. The meat. And let's go with the fifth as, like, Dream scenario. Okay. Well, I think this player I'm going to name is somewhere in the middle. But if I had to get one player this trade deadline, I'm the New York Mets. And this is going to go against everything I've said in this podcast for the last few months. Because I have been starting pitcher, starting pitcher, starting pitcher, starting pitcher. I want three starting pitchers this week for the New York Mets. I want to get so many innings, it's not even funny. But with the recent development of Carlos Carrasco looking very good today in his rehab start for Syracuse, he had, I think, believe it was six or seven strikeouts and three innings of work, touch 96 with a fastball. His next start's going to be in Queens. Yes. In a nightmare scenario, we can deal with not getting another pitcher, possibly. If I had to get one guy, and I'm the New York Mets this trade deadline season, I want Brian Buxton. Brian? Byron. (laughs) Uh, The one guy I want, I won't even get his name right. I'm going to call him Brian. It's been a long day. I want Byron Buxton from the Minnesota Twins. If you have to look at every single player in Major League Baseball right now and say who can win an MVP award, not who's most likely to, not who I think will, who has the skill level... The acumen, the ability to actually put it all together to win that award, it's Byron Buxton. It's very rare that a sixth type of win player becomes available in his prime. Someone who can play center field. Someone who won't even be as expensive as other players of his skill level because of the injury concerns and the durability history. But this guy could be a difference maker. He could possibly be the best player in baseball over the second half. This could be UN assessed this on steroids. Yeah, Byron Buxton is pretty insane. He was the first name I wrote down on my list. So we were in the exact same spot right there. Great pick. He's declined the contract extension from the Twins. They offered him seven for 80, I think was the most recent one. He's declined that as he should because 
any team's going to give him $20 million a year once he hits the free agent market, which is going to be in a couple seasons. But if the Mets can get this guy, I mean, we're probably looking at Mauricio. PCA, I think, is probably going to be included in that trade, too, I I would think. I think it would probably be Mauricio and then one of the pitchers that we have still in our top 10. I would probably love to negotiate it out of being JT Ginn, but I'm sure there is a chance he'd be involved, especially if we got another player back, because the Minnesota Twins have indicated, they've indicated, quote-unquote indicated, through leaks and sources, that they would like to package multiple players together to maximize possible trade returns, as they do kind of this rebuilding, retooling on the fly, not want to do a full rebuild because I still believe their team will be competitive next year. But I think Mauricio and a guy like Robert Dominguez or JT Ginn, Jose Budo, probably gets this done. Yeah, if if that is the case, Mets need to get it done because Byron Buxton is a difference maker. You want Mm -hmm. to talk about a guy who can take your team to the next level? Even if he doesn't hit defensively, he is the sickest center fielder in baseball. Yes, it's a gazelle. It's not even close. All right, so now I got two picks here. I'm going to keep one in Minnesota. We're going to talk about Jose Barrios, yes. who I admittedly am not the highest on. I'm still interested to see. He's a guy who's always had you know these huge expectations. You mm-hmm. thought that this could be maybe a future Cy Young Award winner, and he has yet to show it in his three or four years of playing. But when Jeremy Hefner says, I want Jose Barrios, yeah. I want Jose Barrios. Mm-hmm. So Jeremy Hefner clearly sees that there's something that he can fix, that he can tweak, that he can sprinkle his Hefner magic dust on, and turn into the pitcher that I think we can once expect from Jose Barrios, I think that's a guy that we got to at least check base on. Yeah, kick the tires, as they say. Yes. Jose Barrios did pitch for one year with Jeremy Hefner. So a lot of talking heads, media members, people on Twitter have been saying, what can you do with him here? He did something with him. He only had one year with the guy. Jeremy Hefner was part of the organization, but he was not the pitching director but until, I believe it was 2018, that, that he had that role. Possibly 2019, I don't remember. I have these notes, though, that I wrote down about their time together. And during that one year, it was Jose Barrios' most prolific strikeout season in terms of K-rate, and he had the most break on his curveball, vertical movement, drop, as they say. So I think that Hefner knows that there is a way to tweak his pitch design just a little bit to get a lot more out of the four-pitch mix that Jose Barrios has to offer. And I don't really like the narrative that... You say this a lot, and people all say, like, I don't want a guy with a 3-5 ERA as a big prospect. Do people realize how good a 3-5 ERA is over a career? A five-year stretch pitching in the, in the American League, that's a fantastic number to get. That is a guy who's going to be a frontline starter and who's going to be pitching in playoff games, possibly. I love Jose Barrios. I've been saying it for months. I want that guy on the Mets. Yeah, I mean, a rotation with DeGrom, Barrios, Carrasco, Stroman, Walker, Syndergaard, McGill, Rich Hill. I just named eight legit starting pitcher we're suddenly deep we're suddenly the los angeles dodgers of starting pitching it's it would be a really really nice guy to pick up i do think it's going to cost a shit ton though yes as has been reported the twins want everything if we were to get because again the twins want to package guys together if we were to get buxton and barrios in the same trade it would one probably be the biggest besides francisco Lindor. this would be the biggest in-season trade that the mets have made since piazza literally and Yes, since Mike Piazza. And I would also just start buying, like, you know, my tickets to the World Series at that point if we get those two guys. And we'd have to include, I would say, Mauricio, Vientos, and probably two other pitchers at top 10. I think it would take at least JT Ginn and then probably a flyer arm that's somewhere down the list. Junior Santos. Yeah, someone who's a little bit younger, maybe with some crazy stuff. Yeah, someone who throws 99 who hasn't figured it out yet. But that being said, I would be more than willing to put that package together. If I, would. I, I would take that package, too, in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. I think the Twins have a lot of interesting players for us. Those two lead the list. Yes. Now, for my second pick here, because we're coming back around. For is this going to be draft. another twin? This is not going to be another twin, but I'm going to hang around in the American League Central here. 
And oh. I'm going to give you a reliever. And it's not going to be from the Detroit Tigers. It's going to be from the Kansas City Royals. Scott Barlow. Scott Barlow is a guy that I think is super, super underrated for a few reasons. One, he's had a couple good seasons now in Kansas City. he's fantastic. He's a really, really solid reliever. And when you look at the stat cast numbers, the percentile rankings, which everyone's getting obsessed with, and they do carry a lot of weight, but there's here's what I like to see. K rate, 89%. Walk rate, he does walk a few guys here and there, but that's really hard to get when you have such a high strikeout rate. You're going to miss on some points. You know who he hasn't had working with him? Jeremy Hefner. He's in the friggin' Kansas City Royals organization, which is basically a dinosaur organization. They refuse to shift. They have cut their shifts down by more than like half, I guess, like by 50%, which is funny because Brad Keller had the best season of his career last year. His ERA has doubled. So it seems like the shifting has directly correlated to the player's performance. Imagine if Barlow gets shifts. Imagine if he gets Jeremy Hefner. Throw him into this bullpen. He's got really, really good stuff, and I don't think he would cost almost anything. I think the opposite of that. The reason I actually omitted Barlow from my list, my draft, even though I had him on the list, is he is entering arbitration next year. You have three years of pretty cost-controlled years of Scott Barlow coming up. He's going to cost a lot, I think, in a trade. I think he would probably cost you a Jalen Palmer plus a lottery ticket lower prospect. Which... It's like, see, to me, I guess technically that is a lot, but in my eyes, yeah. Jalen Palmer and a lower prospect, more than happy to do of that. Of course, for... but in the reliever market, he will be one of the most expensive relievers that's available. And I'm not even sure the Royals would be willing to move him with those three additional years of regularly cost-effective control, even though he is due for a large raise. So that means he could be someone who they think about trading. But I love Barlow. Barlow has shown the ability in the past to be a multi inning reliever. That would be such an incredible cog to add to this mess bullpen. And he's, he's the guy that doesn't have national appeal because he's played on bad Royals teams and he pitches in Kansas City. Yes. So I, Barlow's going to be my guy there on the second round. Who you got going on your second round pick? Here? All right. My second round pick, the professor, Kyle Hendricks of the Chicago Cubs. I love this guy so much. The one problem about Kyle Hendricks coming to the Mets is that he can't pitch against the Braves. And he will have to do that in the second half a couple of times. Only team that's hit him at all this year. But goddamn, do you want consistency, reliability, with just like a dash of cerebralness? I don't even know if that's a real word. Ivy League man, I believe. He's a smart dude. Yeah, the professor. He's going to come out there every fifth day. He's going to give you a chance to win a game. He's battle-tested in the playoffs. He will continue to be good for periods of time because he doesn't throw hard as it is. He only seems to be getting smarter in his command... I don't know if that's something that correlates with age, but it's still very good in his old age. He's on a very, very, very cost-controlled contract. It will take a lot to get him. He might take a Ronnie Mauricio, which would be hilarious. Yes. If, yes, that would just be a funny trade, but I'm sure we would get a reliever back for that, maybe like an Andrew Chafin or a Ryan Tapera, not to give take picks away from your later rounds, possibly. Not saying anything here, but I would love to get Kyle Hendricks. This team needs starting pitching, and he would be such a great addition to the staff. Kyle Hendricks falls a little bit to like... Uh People see his stuff and go, hey, he's really not that good. Mm. And then you see his ERA this year and you go, see, people are finally starting to figure him out. But like you said, it's just a few bad starts against the Braves. Literally really two starts against everything. the Braves. And he also isn't an ace by any means. No. But in Chicago, he is. So I think people see that too with the ERA and everything and think he's not that good. But you don't realize as a three, as a four, as a five starter, you go, holy shit, this is one of the best three, four, five yeah. starters in the league. Like yeah. as a not front of the line guy, I love Kyle Hendricks. Again, probably going to have to give up a ton. Yeah, I would rather just give up a ton for Jose Barrios. But 100%. Hendricks, well, you already took him. Yes, I know. <laughs> I'm just saying. But Hendricks would be a really good like consolation prize. And those two guys 
are so, I'm not going to jinx anything. I'm knocking on wood. Barrios and Hendricks have been two workhorses over the last few years. The guys are stalwarts. Shoulders made out of iron. They're near the top of the league in innings pitched over the last three and four seasons, respectively. And this team needs innings so damn bad. We need someone who's going to be able to come in and be reliable every fifth day. They're going to be able to go deep into games. And those guys can do it. And now you got your uh, starting off I the do. third round here. Who do. you got? This third round pick is someone you don't like very much, who I do like very much. And he's going to be different than the last two guys because he doesn't have any control past this year. But I think John Gray would be a worthwhile addition to this Mets staff. Yeah, I, I just... Now, you know, a little hint here. I like the other Colorado Rockies pitcher a little bit more. He's not going anywhere. No? They, they've said, again, the Rockies, they run a, I don't even know what to call it. I don't even want to call it an organization. It's a shit show. Yeah, it's malpractice, what they do to that team, <laughs> year in and year out. And they have said the other guy's not going to be made available. They've indicated that. They could be blown away. But I think John Gray could be had pretty cheaply because he's on the last year of his contract, so not much control. You can extend him the qualifying offer, though, similar to what we did with Marcus Stroman, to still get the two years out of him, even though there's one year left on his contract. He would probably take a player in the Jalen Palmer range, someone a little, maybe a pitcher worse than JT Ginn. But you could get this guy. He's attainable. And just leaving cores would just be putting wings, turning this wonderful caterpillar into a beautiful butterfly, coming here to pitch with Jeremy Hefner in New York Mets. He would be introduced to Data for the first time in his career, which would be really, really fun for John Gray, I'm sure. He could, he could throw off-speed pitches. Breaking balls. His slider's very good. He can introduce a curveball back to his game that he had when he was drafted. He's throwing 96 again, back to that velocity he had pre-arm injury. I think there's a high ceiling on John Gray for the rest of the season. Yeah, I think my, you know, scare or my hesitancy with him comes with that. He's a little inconsistent at times because we have seen him just be god-awful. There have been stretches in his career where he's god-awful, and it's not just because of Coors and the injuries. I don't want him to be the guy. That, like, you know, oh, we got John Gray. I don't want that to be the one move, yeah. our big name, because right now Rich Hill's our name. John Gray, I would feel in the same kind of boat of, that's, that's who we got, but he would be very, very cheap. And he would be very useful. We he need he would be useful. He's still better than Gerard Eikhoff. He's, don't, he's much better than Gerard Eikhoff. This is a former first-round pick. This guy's been pitching very well this season. Don't put any dirt on John Gray's name. All right, I won't put any dirt on John Gray's name. Let me drop a... Uh, a fun little player for you here. This Ooh, is what, our third round pick here? Yep. Well, I was going to say Herman Marquez, but apparently that guy's not really available right now. So we're going to... He's not. Thank you for that. Thank you for that <laughs> little tip there. Okay. Okay, so for my third round pick, I picked another guy. Turns out I was very wrong about everything <laughs> I said. So we just strike that from the record. James is the only one who knows who it is. If you tweet at James, maybe he'll tell you who I said. You'd be nice. Yeah, be nice to him. But here's where we're going to go here. Third round pick. I'm going to go with another reliever. I'm, I'm big reliever heavy. I'm going to go to the Baltimore Orioles. And I'm going to go with a left-handed reliever that I've liked for a few years here in Tanner Scott. He's a guy who has some really sick stuff, throws gas, throws Chet from the left-hand side. He's got some of the better stuff in the league. The biggest issue with him has been kind of like John Gray. He plays in the hitter's ballpark. He plays in Baltimore, which is a graveyard for pitchers. Mm -hmm. So tough. He has great velo. He gives up some hard hit balls. Again, doesn't play well in Baltimore. But in City Field, as we know, where balls go to die a little bit, I think Tanner Scott could be a great left handed arm out of the pen. No doubt. Jeremy Hefner sprinkled a little dust in there. He's had some walk issues in the past. He is a high walk, high strikeout guy. But for a dude who's going to be our second left handed reliever, and again, I don't think will cost, cost very much. No, I think almost nothing. I think similar, Jalen Palmer. Maybe a back end. Like, I think Palmer probably even a little too much. Maybe. I, I don't know. The Orioles probably are going to. They don't have to get rid of Tanner Scott anytime soon, so I could see them being a little more tough. I would tell the Orioles you can get a two-for-one deal. You give me two of your relievers with talent, be it Tanner Scott, Paul Fry's okay. I'm a big fan of Cole Sussler. 
and then we'll give you Jalen Palmer. But yeah, two relievers who yes. are good. And this feels very reminiscent of the Miguel Castro trade, where mm-hmm. we gave up uh, Kevin Smith, I think, left-handed starting pitcher. Mm-hmm. Give up somebody like that mid-level prospect yeah. for a guy like Tanner Scott or maybe even a Paul Fry or Cole Sulcer, like you said. I think that's a really safe, smart move that the Mets can make, and I think it would be great to add to the bullpen depth. I think so, too. And then now for the fourth round. We're going to flip it around here. I'm going to go with a guy that... I don't necessarily know if the Mets have a shot, but he is going to be available on the market. Starling Marte. Really? I would like Starling Marte. I thought you were going to say a different Marte. No. I, we might be saving that for the last round. I don't know. You might beat me to it because you got the <laughs> double picks here. But I would really like to see the Mets get Starling Marte, and here's why. He's playing really good baseball. Yeah. He's actually been a fantastic defensive center fielder. And while I don't want Brandon Nimmo to not be in center field, I love Brandon Nimmo in the corner even more. And yeah. I think Brandon Nimmo in the corner is more realistic here. This is crazy, though, because Dom Smith or Michael Conforto is going to have to sit. But I'm really low on Michael Conforto right now. I hate to say it. I'm super low. And weirdly enough, I think Michael Conforto could be used in a trade to get somebody, which is an insane statement to say. But I think that because he is expiring and it looks like the writing's on the wall, he's not going to be with the Mets. Hot take. Michael Conforto could be traded. But Brandon Nimmo, move him to a corner. You can play Starling Marte in center field. He's going to be great. It's a little out there. It's a little tough. But if there was ever a time to go get Sterling Marte, who we've been connected to for years, I think right now is like, it's one of those moves where you make where you go, damn, the Mets really just got Sterling Marte. That's like a Dodgers move to get a guy that doesn't have a position on this team right now. A lightning rod. That's a lightning rod. That is a splash. And we should probably have this conversation. We should have had when we talked about Buxton. Now you're mentioning Sterling Marte. My first pick of the next round will be Ketel Marte, who I think is one of the best, literally one of the best players in baseball. He can give you premier defense, either center field or second base. He can move to a corner if the Mets were to get a better defensive center fielder at some point. He's so unheralded because he's trapped in the Arizona Diamondbacks, which is the hell pit of a team right now, even though the organization's not very bad. And we have some, a mutual connection with that team that could help facilitate a trade. Mr. Allard Baird, who used to be an executive under Brody Van Wagenen, he now works for the Diamondbacks. He was hired during the Mike Hazen shakeup preseason. I think these two teams are going to be on the phone a lot. I think someone like Joaquim Sorio or Eduardo Escobar makes more sense as a short-term rental who won't cost very much. But we need to make a splash. The Mets have a chance to win the World Series. National League is wide open right now. Wide open. Completely wide open. If you can get a premier player at this deadline, like we mentioned, Buxton, Berrios, Hendricks, Starling Marte, Cattell Marte, either of the Marte brothers here, you can really add a lot to this team's potential and this team's ability to win a series against teams with who seem to have more star power on paper. It will push one of our starters to the bench. A guy like... McNeil, Dom, or Conforto, or Nimmo to the bench basically every single day. Well, I don't think there's a shot Nimmo sits on the bench at all. I think Nimmo plays every single day no matter what. Brand Nimmo's, we've known him to be hot and cold in his career. The cold streak is coming. It's going to happen. It's just inevitable. Every player goes through a cold streak. Dom had one. Conforto's still basically having a full season-long one. One of those guys is going to have to sit, and I think that would be a weird situation for a clubhouse that is so tight and everyone is so comfortable with their playing time as of right now. Yes, I think, you know, dream scenario. Cattell Marte for sure, which I think that's going to be your dream pick, right? Yeah, that's my dream. I'll be Buxton. Like, all of mine were kind of dream picks. I bit. was really shooting for the stars Well, here. you still have one left because I yes. think you technically skipped your fourth round one. So I'll give you now a chance to give us a little bit of a realistic pick here because you just gave us Cattell Marte, which okay. you stole mine. My next one is going to be someone who no one's really talked about as being available from the same team as your Scott Barlow pick. But I like Mike Miner for the New York Mets at the trade deadline. He has a little bit pricier of a contract, but is still not out of the water for a guy who's been very durable over the last years. He has two years, $23 million left. 
That's after the season ends. And he has not pitched very well this season in terms of ERA. His strikeout numbers have dipped. His velocity has dipped recently after he showed a real spike during spring training, touching 95 miles an hour, which that's not the Mike Miner we know. That was never going to last. But this is a guy who's going to leave Kansas City and come to a data-driven organization like the New York Mets. Hefner's going to sprinkle fairy dust. We're going to give him a computer. He's going to have data, similar to John Gray for the first time in a long time. And I think they'll be able to get a lot out of this guy. I really do. His, all of his ERA estimators are a full run below where it actually sits right now. He had an cr- incredible season just in 2019 where he had over 200 strikeouts. Yeah, the, Texas the fake Rangers. 200. I'll give it to him. Yeah, yeah. That was well worth it. You want to put, uh, like, put a stupid incentive like that in a guy's contract? Everyone picked the guy up. Oh, no, I'm all for the team doing that. Oh, yeah, dinner was on Mike Miner that night. Nice watch for whoever that first baseman was who let that foul ball <laughs> drop. I think he's a guy who's really underrated in Major League Baseball, and he's a guy who should be on the move because the Kansas City Royals, one, are aware they're not competing over the next two seasons, and two, they have an entire just unit of young starting pitchers ascending right now, and might as well give these guys some spots. Let them take their lumps in the majors for the second half. I think it's worth noting, too, that Mike Miner has been a relief pitcher in the past, which I think if the Mets were to grab him during the postseason, he would go to the pen, and he has been light out in the pen. And he could that velocity will play up out of the pen, just like it did in spring training in shorter outings. If he's throwing 95 out of the pen with two off-speed pitches to boot, that's a weapon. Like, I think Rich Hill in the postseason, when we inevitably get there, will end up playing like that John Neese, Bartolo Colon role a little bit. But you could get Mike Miner, who could also play that role a little bit, two out of the pen. Those are two legit arms at the absolute worst in the playoffs that are going to give you multiple innings. Definitely. And taking $23 million off of the Royals' payroll, you probably won't have to give that crazy of a prospect. It's probably someone like a Robert Dominguez or... I don't even know a position player. We can get possibly like a Carlos Cortez. Yeah. We get get you Mike Miner. And that'd be a slam dunk in my book. And Mike Miner, I think, will know better once Whit Merrifield gets traded mm-hmm. because Whit Merrifield is inevitably on the move to Seattle, it looks like, at the moment that we're doing this. Don't know if he's actually been traded or not. My phone hasn't been buzzing too much, so I can't imagine he has. Royals should be sellers. They very much should be. I and think we they're, can, they're very much sellers. We, we can no grab doubt. a couple pieces from them for sure. Yes. Now, for my last guy, dream scenario here, I'm going to go with Chris Bryant. Nice. I'm yeah, go you with, had to say it. I'm going to go with Chris Bryant. I think every Mets fan wanted to hear us say Chris Bryant. I think me and James are both in agreement that as much as we love J.D. Davis, Chris mm-hmm. Bryant is better. Definitely. That is a fact. And if you want to be a World Series team right now, getting Chris Bryant would push us to the next level. Yes. I want J.D. to play a lot, for sure. Definitely. But the fact of the matter is Chris Bryant's just better. Let's just read out his numbers this year. Talk about his career numbers a little bit here, because I feel like even myself sometimes has gotten a little blind to how talented Chris Bryant is as a player. We got a little spoiled with him at the start of his career as a rookie and in the second season going rookie of the year MVP, and he hadn't been in that conversation, but the numbers are still there. This year in 89 games, 16 homers, 19 doubles, 48 RBIs, 266 average, 354 on base, 494 slugging, 848 OPS. Fantastic year. Awesome offensively. People are going to say JD's numbers are better. He doesn't have 312 at-bats. You got to remember, the numbers even out as you get longer games. And Chris Bryant plays defense. And Chris Bryant plays defense, plays third base, plays the corner outfield, could play center field if you even wanted to, could play first base. He's a good athlete. On his career, 162-game average of 30 homers, 37 doubles, 90 RBIs, 885 OPS. A on-base percentage approaching 400 at 378. That's an elite offensive player, any way you slice it. And Chris Bryant's a guy who has the postseason experience, is a former MVP, is a good baseball player if the Mets really want to go crazy and they want to kick someone out of a starting spot right now. Unfortunately, it's for J.D. Davis at third base, I think, most realistically, and Chris Bryant's going to be that guy. And that's okay. J.D. Davis becoming a bench player will just add to this team's depth. And like we said earlier, he's a weapon against left-handed pitching. Having that bullet in your gun late in games, in the National League, when you're going to be using a lot of pinch hitters, 
that could prove insurmountable as we go through a pennant race. Well, think about this. If we really get Chris Bryant against a left-handed pitcher, you could put Chris Bryant in right field in Sycamore. Yeah. And you could play JD at third. Yeah. That's a disgusting Dominant. lineup. That's insane. Think about that lineup real quick. Let's just hypothesize about this. Nimmo, Bryant, JD. This is deja vu Pete to our first Alonso. episode. I know, right? Pete Alonso, Dom Smith, James McCann crushes left-handed pitching again all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Lindor's hopefully going to come back at some point. And he crush could, left-handed pitching. And crush left-handed <laughs> pitching. Like they, The Mets have a need for hitting left-handed pitching. This could be a way to answer it. Clayton Kershaw is shaking in his boots. Clayton Kershaw is terrified. Clayton Kershaw is terrified. Josh Hader of the Brewers is terrified. Ooh. He's going to have to pitch at some point. We already roughed him up this year. I would love Chris Bryant. I really would. I love JD, but I like Chris Bryant a little bit more as a player. And that was a yeah, definitely. That was a great last pick to close out this draft because all of the momentum right now in Mets Twitter is steamrolling towards Chris Bryant becoming a man. He's going to get traded this week. Yes, there's no doubt that Chris Bryant is on a different team. Maybe not the next time we speak to you guys, but the time after that. By the, end, by the end of the month, he's on a different team. It's no longer yes. the Chicago Cubs. And if he is on the Chicago Cubs, what the fuck? A gross miscalculation. What are they doing? <laughs> like, that is, that's almost like what the Giants did the last few years when they should have sold. It's yeah. luckily played out somehow with Buster Posey and Evan Longoria and all those guys being good again. But Your boy Brandon Crawford? Brand, yeah, please. Don't even, don't even get me started on Brandon Crawford. My God, I don't need that. Cubs need to sell. We mentioned a few Cubs players. We mentioned a few Twins players. We mentioned a few Royals players. There's not a lot of teams that are going to be sellers. Uh, One of the teams that is is the Nationals. They're not trading anybody to the Mets. No. Hate to break it to you. Not going to happen. We're not getting Max Scherzer. Nope. Impossible. Maybe Daniel Hudson. Maybe we could sneak him away, but I don't even think that that's an option, really. You'd have to pay the divisional tax. Yes, and I don't want to do that because we don't need to. Plenty of relievers out there. Lots of relievers, lots of pitching. The Mets, we're going to make a move. I'm very confident. If not two. I think we're going to make a splash. I think that the Mets see blood in the water, and we're sharks. We got Steve Cohen who's making all this money. He's a billionaire. He's ready to go crazy. And I think he's given Zach Scott the keys and said, do what you can to win. He said three to five years. This team's on that track. You want to make it even quicker? Go get somebody right now. Absolutely. I think that will lead us very nicely into an important series that we have coming up starting tomorrow, Monday, today, if you guys are listening to this when it drops, against the Atlanta Braves. The rare five-game series. It is, uh, this feels like a trap a little bit because the Braves are playing bad baseball. Mm Mm-hmm. Even though I think they beat the Phillies a couple times. But they're, they're just not playing great baseball. They're without Acuna. They still have Freeman. They still have Albies. Austin Riley's a thorn in our side, as we know. But this is a weaker Braves team than we've seen in the past. But we are going up against them with, like, only two starting pitchers, really, this series right now. We still don't know who is going to be pitching the second game tomorrow or the game on Tuesday night. Yeah. It's, it's going to be tough. But the, the bright side is the Braves also don't have many starting pitchers. Their team's a little weak right now, too, on the pitching side. No, we're going to catch Kyle Muller, who gave us trouble the last time we faced him in left-handed. his Major League debut. Yeah, left-hander, whose stuff is good. He has good stuff. I like watching him. He's I not think. a soft tosser. No, no, he was supposed to have control issues, and he hasn't really had those very much so far, but he's facing Stroman tomorrow in the early game, as stipulated by ESPN now. We learned that ESPN is not the most reliable source anyway for these pitching previews. They like to shake things up on us, but... That being said, we're going to see Bryce Wilson during the doubleheader, I'm sure. Should smack him around. Who's just a very unimpressive pitcher. Simply, Simple way to put it there. He had that one sick start in the playoffs last year. I don't know how that happened. I don't know if it's ever going to happen again. But that's Bryce Wilson for you. But then we're going to catch the two aces. Charlie Morton and Max Fried are going to pitch against the Mets on Tuesday and Wednesday of this series. And Max Fried has been a thorn in our side ever since he came up. Yep, soft tossing lefty. Soft tossing lefty. <laughs> and Charlie Morton is basically a soft tossing lefty, except from the right side. He's just really good. <laughs> yeah, he's, just, he's figured it out again this year. It's not going to be an easy series. The Mets bats need to stay alive as they have. They've been battling. This team has really like impressed me the last since the All-Star break with the way that they've been playing. So bad against the Pirates, but 
that game where Rojas got tossed, I feel like is a moment in the season where things turned around a little bit. Yes. That was a game where the Mets could have laid down, they could have lost, and mm-hmm. it could have been the start of the end of the season. But this Mets team, they came back after a 6 nothing deficit in the first. Mm-hmm. They won that game. We had the crazy games against the Reds. We won that series. We won the series against the Blue Jays. I've got faith in this team. Just keep playing the baseball that we know they can, and this series shouldn't be an issue. Yeah. No, it shouldn't. Well... It'll be an issue for some of it. Let's win a couple games this series. Five games, this is like the minor league series of six games. We're going to get to know the Braves as well as we've, I don't know, much better than we've known them this season over this week. And you can have to chip away like we did against the Blue Jays. Yep. Just find your, find your alleys, clutch hitting, risp. We're going to see a lot of risp. A lot of it's risp. going to be very important. And we got to cash in, win a couple of these games. Stay afloat. Stay afloat. Still in first place with a nice lead over the Phillies. The Nationals are just not even really in the mirror anymore. No. Uh, objects no, in the mirror. Objects closer they appear, yeah. Yeah, they're, uh, they've gotten a little further since that tweet. They've yeah. lost five games on us since then. Yeah, another good tweet today that we wanted to mention. Oh, we forgot yeah. to mention in the Blue Jays recap, but you should get into it real quick. Yeah, so uh, George Springer got caught stealing third base in game three today. And I immediately was like, oh, I know I'm going to get some bites here. So I put out a tweet saying we caught a cheater with like the eyes emoji. Jay J.D. Davis tagged out George Springer on the play. J.D. Davis was on those Astros teams as well. The impact he made was negative. Oh, you knew J.D. Davis on those Astros teams? Yeah, no, apparently, uh, because Astros Twitter found it. Blue Jays Twitter couldn't care less. No. They were like, whatever, who cares? He's on our team. We know he cheated. (laughs) Yeah, like it's it's very well known. And yeah, to beat a dead horse, it's an easy joke, low-hanging fruit. But that's how Twitter and impressions work. That's why I have all the subscribers I have. I know how to use the system here. Astros fans bit so hard, so much that we even got the moron, the absolute fool that is Michael Schwab, who got so hot that he didn't even realize that the Mets won today. He tweeted, I wish I had the screenshot, but I couldn't get it quick enough. He tweeted that the Blue Jays, he's like, you're still going to tweet this with the Blue Jays beating you 5-4? Did you check the box score right, buddy? You were so wrong. Like He's just, he's a moron for Astros Twitter. He's the poster child for it. All the Astros fans took the bait. They love to talk about J.D. Davis made the tag. Did I say he didn't? I didn't say that we had no cheaters on our team. I'm aware J.D. Davis was there. I know we had Marisnik the year before. I don't care. It's a good tweet. You took the bait. You fell right into my hands, Astros Twitter, because you guys are joining the group of some of the softest fans in all of baseball. I had Astros fans talking about the Mets being irrelevant because of World Series championships. The one and only championship the Astros have ever won. They cheated and they got caught. I mean, I can't. The Mets were doing lines of coke in 86. The Astros were banging trash cans. One shouldn't help you. Daryl Strawberry is banging woman in the clubhouse in between innings. Like this. You tell me what's cooler. While it's been 30 years, it was, what, 50 years for the Astros? And it literally took them cheating. Now, granted, this team is sick this year, and they're probably the best team in the American League. So I'm going to put that out there right now. Yeah, no, they're great. They're sick. They're the favorite in the American League to make the World Series. They didn't need the cheating. I called that. Yes, you did. From the start, you called it. I'll give you that, James. I like the Astros. I actually like them a lot, but their fans, my God, I didn't think that they were going to take it this bad. Thank you for blowing up Mets Up Twitter today. We got like 50,000 impressions in a few hours. It's fantastic. Yeah, great weekend on Twitter. Love the support that all you guys are throwing us. That Mets tweet on Friday really popped off. A lot of Mets fans have opinions on Steven Mats, as we were well aware. Yeah. Uh, the national suite today was really funny. Really going to use that screen cap a lot more this season about objects in the mirror being closer than they appear. I do want to shout out one Twitter user, messed up follower. Her name is Jen Maybe at 060 underscore Jen with two N's. She said her seven-year-old son is an avid messed up listener, and we want to thank that listener. We apologize for our profanity. Yeah, we're 25-year-old men. It's going to slip out every once in a while. But hey, they're words. Just don't use them. Yeah, it happens. Just listen to us, man. But thank you so much for sending us a quiz. 
We are probably going to get to it maybe next episode, maybe the one after, whenever the trade deadline wraps up, maybe post-black jerseys, and we'll talk about your quiz on the show. Yeah, we'll give you a little shout-out, let you know how we did. Maybe me and James will do a little quiz off and see who ends up getting the higher score. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a perfect way to wrap up today's episode. James is talking about the Twitter. Follow us there, at MetsUp. Mm-hmm. Instagram, at MetsUp. YouTube channel, MetsUp Podcast, if you want to watch the video form content instead of listening to it. If you choose to listen to it, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you got a podcast, you will find us. So make sure you're following, subscribe, whatever it's called. I don't know the terminology still. We're 35 episodes in, and I feel like it's episode number 10 still. <laughs> but that's where we're going to wrap it up here. Make sure you're following me on Twitter, at GiraffeNeckMark. James Jeter had no range on his way to 1,000 followers, so drop him a follow if you have not yet done so. That's where we're going to wrap it up for the second time I've said that here. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for watching. And we'll see you on the next episode after this insane brave series. Peace out. Thanks, guys. See you later.